0: You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.
1: The first Sunday of the NFL season is here, and the excitement continues with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. DraftKings is giving all new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Bet just $1 on any football game this weekend and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet at least $1 on any football game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hello and welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. Joining me as always is Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and my co-host, Shang Peng. Shang, how you doing today, man? Very good, man. Yeah, we got a lot of... uh... A lot of sharks news is actually coming out. I feel sorry for the other boring teams out there that don't have all <laughs> the fun stuff to talk about, but we actually have some content we can bring to you pretty much week in and week out now. So uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's why I
2: didn't want to ask how you're doing because uh, we have too much news to cover that we just got to get to
1: it. <laughs> exactly, and you know what? Just like Shank said, we're going to get right into it. On you know, on today's episode, we're going to go over some sharks news you know, involving the recent hiring of John McClain. And, you know, what that change could mean for this upcoming season for the Sharks. We're also going to touch on recent developments in the Evander Kane saga. Saga's and, a good word. Yeah, sagas. I'm sticking with it. I'm not, I'm not changing. Like, it's going to hashtag it on our on all of our episodes <laughs> involving them. Uh, after that, we've got another interview lined up for, you know, all the listeners and the fans out there, the hockey fanatics. Hall of Famer Kevin Allen and longtime Red Wings beat writer Bob Duff of Detroit Hockey Now are going to join us to talk about the Sharks and kind of how historically how teams have handled situations similar to what the Sharks are dealing with right now in terms of Vander Kane and the discord that's going on in the Sharks locker room. So, you know, before we get to the interview with Kevin and Bob, let's just jump right into the Sharks news that we mentioned earlier. Uh, The Sharks have hired John McClain as assistant coach, not even a week after Rocky Thompson's I unexpected departure, I think is the best way that I could have put this. Yeah, uh, you know, due to the league regulations involving the COVID nineteen vaccine, the Sharks found his replacement in John. And um, you know, I had a diehard reference I wanted to put here. The die the dad jokes are just screaming to come in from, but <laughs> thank I decided goodness. to yeah, <laughs> yes, thank I, I goodness. decided to <laughs> forego it and uh, save you the struggle of listening <laughs> to me say more diehard references. So. You know, hopefully the Christmas parties will be safe. (laughs) Um, But just a quick summary here for John. As a player, he played 18 seasons with about, I think it was four different teams, one of which actually being the San Jose Sharks in the 97 and 98 season. Uh, He won the Stanley Cup once as a player in 95 with the Devils and once as an assistant coach in 2003 for who else but the New Jersey Devils. So that's pretty much a quick summary about John's playing career. Shane, what do you got for us?
2: Well, uh, he will be uh, running the forwards and the power play for the Sharks.
1: Wait, you said forwards? I thought that was John Madden's job.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that's a little bit of a mystery here that we haven't quite solved. Uh, Rocky handled the power play and defense last year. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. know, Is another hiring going to happen? Uh, Is Bob Bugner going to take a greater hand with the defense? Uh, Remember that Bugner ran the Sharks defense in 2016. Mm -hmm. Or... Is John Madden gonna go just go back and cover the defense? Uh Madden, of course, is a career forward, a Selkie trophy winner, but coaches are usually experienced in calling changes for both forwards and defense.
1: Yeah, maybe we can have all of John McClain's uh efforts be put into the power play and it won't be a bottom three power play in the league. So uh you actually <laughs> wrote uh you actually wrote an article, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday night. So you were you did an article today when the news came out, or exactly when the news came out. You mentioned McLean's less than spectacular kind of power play results that happened over in Arizona. So, Well, the good news
2: is that uh, he didn't run a bottom three power play in Arizona, but he three. ran, uh, what is this, a bottom five? <laughs> Oh. 26th <laughs> in the league. So, um oh boy. yeah, so oh I you know what? No, I, I was wrong. Uh, uh c- breaking news correction. I, bottom 6 power play. Bottom 6 Ooh. power play, so. <laughs> that's good. That's good. So, that's going to be an improvement over 29th in the league for the Sharks. Um but one question correction, correction I do have to make in in my article uh, in in my research and I'm not sure if this is out there publicly because the public information is uh, where I saw that McLean uh, ran the I'm sorry, the Arizona power play 2017-18 and 2018-19. Actually, he only ran the power play in 2018-19, not mm. both years. Uh, not that it matters <laughs> yeah. in terms of results, because the Kylie's power play finished 26th in both years. But it is worth mentioning in terms of if we're looking deeper at it, and also too, it is important to mention that. You know, it's not fair to hold McClain uh, uh, responsible for the entirety of the Coyotes' power play struggles. You know He clearly lacked talent, uh, fading Oliver Ekman-Larsen, just for example. And yeah. that was reflected in the results. Um, but, of course, too, uh, McLean isn't walking into any better situation than, you know, in San Jose. Like you mentioned last year, uh, the power play died hard at 29th in the league. <laughs> oh,
0: God.
1: I thought that i was on I thought I was on die hard watch you come in left field with that jeez oh man well, anyway i'm gonna dig more into
2: uh, McLean and the power play uh, later this week on the San Jose hockey now
1: yeah so everyone uh if you aren't subscribed to San Jose hockey now Make sure you go over there and subscribe. Uh, but you will be—he's like just Shane just said—he's going to be coming out with that article when he does his little deep dive into McLean's kind of impact on the shark. So make sure you guys are all looking into that. Again, as of right now, there's not much information we can really work with. But that's all we have for you in you know on that front. In other news, surprise, surprise, news at eleven. There's more of Vander Kane news coming in. Uh, basically, there were reports coming out today. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday. There are reports coming out that the investigation involving Evander Kane's uh, alleged gambling on sharks game uh, came to a stall, and uh, there, there's just so many implications that involve that because I think whether or not he's going to be in this league completely depends on the, the you know that end all be all of the investigation. Right. So there's plenty of implications that are kind of being put i don't want to say on hold but that are being stalled out because of that investigation being stalled out there was a number of reports that are saying that there wasn't any sort of what's the word i'm looking for there were no major fluctuations in betting lines or betting sure. habituations on the sharks this year or this this last season so um we're still waiting on more news to come out with that um but Shane, you had something else that you actually wanted to talk about
2: yeah, yeah, and it's something that uh, we're going to touch on uh, in today's uh, interview with Kevin and Bob. And the question is what is Evander Kane's path back to the Sharks?
1: Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, let's get real, right? If Kane is found innocent of gambling on NHL games, he's still almost impossible to move even if he's got the uh, you know, Albatross of a contract. If he's got people in the locker room wanting out because of his behavioral problems, you know, like it or not, there's a good chance that Evander Kane is going to be on the Sharks roster. You can't move him without hurting yourself more. And he's also your top scorer. So
2: Right, right, right. And, yeah, before we dive deeper into that, I do want to, uh, you know, take a moment to add, you know, we haven't forgotten the other stuff around Evander. You know, uh, in reality, you know, it's not as simple as did he gamble on NHL games or not. You know, there's getting the Sharks sued uh, during his still ongoing bankruptcy proceedings uh, this year. Uh, There's a troubling history with women. Uh, There were separate sexual assault and sexual harassment investigations in Buffalo when he played there. Uh, But for the purposes of this podcast, you know, the, the question whether or not Evander Kane can play in the NHL this year, it is simply, you know, did he bet on NHL games or not? Just for that question.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's, it seems to be that's what the, uh, the NHL is kind of focusing on right now. So that's what we're going to focus on as well. And, you know, for the purposes of our discussion here, we're going to assume no. We're going right, to assume that right. he did not bet on NHL games.
2: Right. So, and so then that makes me think then, you know, in terms of Evander coming back to the San Jose Sharks locker room, you know, how irreparable are the issues in the room?
1: Yeah, it's funny you say the word irreparable because The Athletic used the word irreparable reporting that Kane flaunted team rules. He was late for practices and games. He he didn't adhere to the dress code. And, you know, we had uh, Winnipeg had issues with that. You know, I believe Dustin right. Bufflin, the old tracksuit incident, you know, uh, poor practice habits. Uh, the team complained to Doug Wilson about all that and then some at the end of the season during their exit interviews and you know add on top of that the cherry on top Kane almost got into a fight with you know former coach now Rocky Thompson so you know what where, where does any of this sound irreparable to you right Chang?
2: right right and that's then that's my question too um you know it, it feels to me that we're missing sort of that uh, silver bullet here you know, if, if you were, you know, Vander Kane and you were late to games practices last year, well, be on time this year. If you practiced lazy last year, practice hard this year. You know, a near fight with a coach, you know, on the surface, these things don't seem irreparable. You know, yeah. things can get heated in the locker room when you're losing. Players and coaches don't always get along and they can still win. And so, yeah, I, 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 you know, based on what we have out there right now, um, either it just, it just feels like, it just feels like, uh, we're, we're missing something maybe.
1: Yeah. Like you said, that silver bullet. And we actually talk a little bit with Kevin and Bob in the interview about multiple cases of teammates or players and coaches not getting along, but you know, putting their, their differences aside and going out and winning in, um, You know, one example that was brought up, and I don't want to spoil it, was the 2004 Tampa Bay Lightning. So Mm -hmm. my question is, is there something more coming out about Kane? You know, the way things that have been going this summer, it wouldn't really be that surprising (laughs) at all. Oh, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, is that it? Is it just the, the locker room personality that he seems to carry around with him? So, yeah, yeah,
2: I, you know, I, I understand that it's not ideal to keep him, um, but considering the obstacles for moving Evander Kane, if that's all that's happened in the locker room, everything that we've mentioned, and again, you know, more stuff can be coming out, but if that's all that's happened, then, again, consider the obstacles, the best possible solution for the Sharks may be to re-integrate him into the room.
1: Yeah, you know, let's uh, take all the boys out to Top Golf. <laughs> and let's have a team building event, you know, maybe go bowling, do some laser tag, settle yeah. it out. <laughs> but, but, you know, integrating it, reintegrating him into the locker room, but with a harder line this time with a little bit more higher expectation, you know, maybe the first time he's late, scratch him. And, and we mentioned it before, if he's late again, put him on, put him on waivers. No one's going right. to pick him up. Right. If exactly. You, if they pick him up, they're helping you out. If, <laughs> because if you're, if you have to pay to trade him, if you can give them away for free, it's a godsend in that sense. We talked about it um, with Martin Jones a long time ago in one of our interviews. It's impossible to move Martin Jones's contract. So if you put him on waivers and someone grabs him, they're doing you a favor. So Right, right, right. And you don't
2: have to send him to the minors, too. You wave him, no one picks him up. He just stays at home, you know? Yep. And so, yeah, so I, I think, you know, when we're looking at – everything here, you know, focus, you know, a lot on the ice and his productivity on it. You know, it is probably best for the sharks if they want to win games to give them another chance in the room to not be late anymore, to get with the program in in certain areas, but would be a dress code or uh, what he's supposed to be doing on the ice.
1: Yeah. He was the sharks leading scorer for a reason. And you know, it's it's worth noting too that there there haven't really been any reported issues about Kane in the Sharks locker room prior to last year. You know, when they had that that nucleus of veteran cores and Pavelski and, sure. and Thornton and all of them. And and I know him and Thornton were actually really good friends off the ice. Thornton was the one that picked him up from the from the airport after the trade was made. So it's a different story if we hear that the issues are longstanding, you know, that they've actually been there for a while, just not reported on. But if they're not What choice do the Sharks really have but to give Kane another shot this year?
2: Yep, yep. Yeah, that's the Sharks 2021-22 slogan there, right? What choice do you have? (laughs) 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 And their choices are limited for sure. You know, like, what are they going to do? You know, uh, add a first-round pick to Kane's contract and retain money to trade him. Um, You know, you can bury him in the minors and— but yet he, he does cap hit, doesn't really do much for his cap hit. Mm-hmm. And you can try to terminate his contract and settle it uh, like the Kings did with Mike Richards years ago, and you can maybe pay Evander Kane till twenty forty all against the cap. But you know, none of these, you know, options are you know are, are 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 good.
1: Not at all. And you figure if you take out your leading point scorer, unless you can convince the Kane in that first round pick to allow that to be a lottery protected pick you're losing a William Eklund type player and that's not something the Sharks can afford to lose if they're attempting to do their and I'm throwing up air quotes reset (laughs) so it if it was easy to send him out of San Jose I'm sure that Doug Wilson would already have had him gone by now but it's obviously not so can the Sharks make the best of the situation that they're currently in right now
2: Right. And that's the sense I'm getting that that's sort of where things are going, that they're going to try to make the best of it. Uh, That said, though, I do think that the Sharks are distancing themselves from Kane, at least at the moment. Um, You know, I think it's worth noting. Uh, that the team hasn't said anything officially about him. You know, you look at their Twitter accounts, the community, uh, you know, Twitter accounts, all those kind of things, Instagrams, anything officially about him since the gambling allegations hit. And until uh, Mark Edward Vlasic and Tommy Hurdle uh, talked to their local language media recently, there was nothing supportive said about Kane online from any of his Sharks teammates. You know, the only word of public support was from an ex-teammate in Buffalo, Robin Leonard. And it's not that hard, right, for any Sharks player to come out and say, I don't believe any of that gambling stuff.
3: You know, we're not talking
2: about asking Sharks players to talk about everything involved with Evander, but you can just come out and say that, right? And I'm not saying... That the absence of any sharks players doing that means that they think he gambled on angel games you know like mm-hmm. i've talked about previously on on this podcast you know i, I didn't think that 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 was they were gonna the angel was gonna find out anyway it just seems like such a great leap for an angel player to do that mm-hmm. um i think evander kane is aware that if that if he did that his career once that's discovered is over um but this absence of support from other sharks players it does suggest to me a lack of support in the room. You know, it fits with that, with that narrative, with that story. And I've heard this has also filtered down to marketing and community, that he's a little bit of a, you know, persona non grata, you know, right now. You mm-hmm. know, I doubt he's going to be a big part of their marketing next year.
1: Yeah, and then you also, uh, when we were talking about this prior to recording, you, you, you said you noticed something about his birthday? <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> so okay so i'm doing a little x-files here a little uh oh, little, yeah. little a little little conspiracy the- theory yeah <laughs> yeah put on 17. put in the, the tinfoil hat right um <laughs> but okay so sylvia <laughs> <laughs> the san Jose sharks twitter wishes every shark a happy birthday and i'm sure you've seen it uh yes. this summer they've wished Chimowski, Barabonov, melnichuk gregor Gambrell, Leonard, Blickfeld, and Eric Carlson, a happy birthday, and I I checked, all right? Even Nicholas Friggin-Molosh, who uh, didn't get a greeting from the Sharks, uh, even though he played a whopping seven games with them last year, he at least got a shout-out for his uh, birthday in July from the Barracuda social media. So that's literally every Shark with a summer birthday who played an Angel game last year. I mean, look, Melanchuk played three games, right? Blickfeld played... You know, three and he, you know, tried to decapitate mm-hmm. McKinnon for another couple of games. Right. So or he sat for that <laughs> at least. So, you know, he almost was suspended longer than he played this year. Um, <laughs> right. So Kane, though, and his August 2nd birthday. Crickets. Nothing. Yeah. Crickets. And this is also the first time that they haven't wished him a happy birthday on that day. Uh, Sharks Twitter. And, you know, I checked and yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm reaching, uh, maybe I'm reaching here, but I don't believe this kind of stuff is an accident. I mean, look again, Nicholas Melosh got, got <laughs> something from the Barracuda. Joachim Blickville, Alexei Melnachuk, Sasha Chmielewski. How many games did he play? You know, he, he, yeah. he got, he got a happy birthday. Um, so don't know.
1: I think, uh, I think that really comes down to, like, damage control for the Sharks PR team. They don't even really want to deal with it. it Right, the
2: comments they'll probably get, I guess, right? Ratio.
1: (laughs) The ratio that they would get on that tweet would be incredible. But, I mean, at the same time, it's not that hard to stand by your man. If you really want to stand by him, all you have to do is stand by your man. Just like you said with the the players not coming out in support of Evander Kane. Somebody, yeah. Not a single whisper. It's even a little social media acknowledgement says a boatload. But there was right. none.
2: Right, right. Zilch. And, you know, even with, like, you know, that happy birthday, you know, the comments are going to get bad. You know what? Don't read the comments there one day, Sharks, you know, Sharks yeah. social media. You know, it's it's really that simple, right? Um, yeah. But anyway, I, I'm going to close my thought with this. Uh, Mark Edward Vlasic recently, you know, he had a French interview with uh, Le journal de Quebec. And I think he might have offered some clues for what Kane has to do to ingratiate himself back to the Sharks' locker room. It's not really too different than than, than what we've said. Uh, And this interview, by the way, is translated in English on San Jose Hockey Now and not with Google Translate, but uh, through a friend of mine. So. Uh, anyway, though, uh, Vlasic big said. Props to you, by the way, for that. For going <laughs> not through and not me. Doing uh, it. Big props to 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 my friend. But I do think that that's important. Uh, also, with the the Tommy Hurdle interview, right? That just mm-hmm. uh, came out. The check the, the check interview. Um, that it's important to, you know, the Google Translate is actually really good. Uh, and it probably gets you like ninety percent there. I don't know eighty. It's a high percentage. It, it it does a great job, but. You You know, it's not 100%, and that extra 10%, that bothers me. You know, it could be Mm -hmm. something important. It could be some kind of tone. Just something is missed there. And so that's why I went to the trouble of asking people to translate both that Vlasic French interview and the Hurdle uh, Czech interview. And again, both on San Jose Hockey Now. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, back to Vlasic. Uh, He said, and I quote uh, If he comes back, meaning Kane, it won't be a distraction in the locker room as long as he shows up to the arena and does what he has to do to help the team. And, of course, this is an on-the-record interview. Uh, You know, Vlasic had a recorder shoved in his face, so he's not going to eviscerate Kane in public. I I get that, that he has to be diplomatic. But this also sounds like a path for Kane to come back to the Sharks. You know, show up to the arena, parentheses, on time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) You know. what
1: did he omit there when he said show up to the arena? Because it's funny you say that he would point out something as simple as showing up to the arena, which is implied. But obviously, there may be some sort of like the first thing Vlasic thinks of is like, this motherfucker's late every day, <laughs> dude. Like- <laughs> it, it could be, it could be, it could be. And, but it also says, you know, that again, you know,
2: show up to the arena, do what he does to, to help the team. Like, these are things that are hockey player basics. And yes, they have sort of evaded, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> evaded Evander <laughs> Kane in, in past years, you know, judging by what happened with him in Winnipeg and Buffalo, you know, issues yeah. with timeliness to practices, um, you know, not always be on the same page with teammates, whether it be on the ice or off the ice stuff. Um, that's, you know, sort of his track record, his his career. But if he can do it, then suddenly, you know, it Maybe it makes sense to to keep him.
1: Yeah, And, you know, maybe for Christmas this year, instead of giving him a gambling for dummies book, they can get him a new alarm <laughs> so he can wake up on time and show up to the uh, show up to the games or show up to the practices on time. What was that Coach <laughs> Carter? Or, yeah, buy him an alarm one? for for every, every every room of his house. So yeah, yeah, there you go. So uh, if you're if you're on time, you're late. <laughs> if you're early, you're on time. So, um, yeah, just I wanted to wrap up my thoughts as well. I feel like if we want to focus on Kane's path to the Sharks, I feel like this is the only way, and I, I think we covered it very well. I think this is the only way that Evander Kane can find his way back into the hearts of his teammates because that's what seems to be holding him back essentially at this rate from continuing to be with the sharks, right right assuming, and that's who, that's yeah oh go ahead yeah, and, assume, yeah. assuming the gambling is null, he didn't do it right that's what we've been assuming this entire right. time i feel like it's uh he has to make his amends and you know it, you know sometimes you got to own up to what you did and this is one of those things that evander kane has to do so if he wants to continue to be a shark and he can find a way to do that this season it will do nothing but help him and the sharks which is something that i want to see but i think that's uh think that pretty much sums it up for the uh today's events in the Evander Kane saga brought to you by San Jose Hockey Now we're going to jump right into this interview honestly i'm pretty excited i'm excited for the folks to listen to it again we have Kevin Allen Hall of Famer Kevin Allen and longtime beat writer Bob Duff coming up for you guys right now Joining us today on the San Jose Hockey Now podcast are two of the most respected journalists in the hockey world. Kevin Allen is a Hockey Hall of Fame inductee who spent 34 years as the national hockey beat writer for USA Today. Kevin is as connected as anybody out there. He's the one who broke the news of Mario Lemieux coming out of retirement. Bob Duff has been covering the Detroit Red Wings for publishers such as the Windsor Star, as well as the hockey news since 1988. That's before I was born, Bob. He is the authoritative Red Wings voice so much so that he's the author of the official team authorized history of the Detroit Red Wings history of Hockey Town. And now both are bringing their 70 plus years of hockey journalism experience to San Jose hockey. Now's sister site, Detroit hockey. Now Kevin, Bob, Thank you guys so much for joining us today on the show to talk some hockey. How's the day going for you both? Kevin, let's start with you.
0: Well, it's going great, uh, although uh, the introduction made me feel a little old. Uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, I don't see myself in those terms. So to hear don't it to like that. I was born
2: before 88, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, when I, uh, um, you know, left uh, USA Today, I remember saying that other than Zadana Chara, um, there weren't uh, many players who were born when I started covering the national hockey league. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, have brought this on myself. Uh, <laughs> I haven't covered this league for so long.
1: Well, that's awesome to hear. I'm glad your day's going good though. You seem really relaxed there, Bob, how are you doing over there?
3: Yeah, it's been a busy day, but I'm getting a lot done. Uh, Kevin's talking about old players and i well, I read today to my astonishment that, uh, Rocky Saginac, who I didn't actually cover, but I did watch when I was in high school when he played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. His grandson is in the camp of an OHL team this year. His not his son, his grandson. So, yeah, wow, that, that's making me feel a little bit old today.
0: Well, I, I, I'm sure your viewers would be interested in the fact that I'm uh, I'm in the midst of uh, actually a, a four book uh, four book projects that I've been working on most of the summer and. Um, you know, three of them were due right around this time, and I've knocked two of them off. And, but the one that I'm close to finishing is uh, on Bernie Nichols, who played briefly oh. for the Sharks. Uh, but the book is primarily about his, uh, uh, you know, years with the Kings and his, uh, you know, rep- reputation as a happy-go-lucky uh, guy who uh, was a pretty darn good hockey uh, uh, player as well.
2: Yep, scored 70 goals with uh, Wayne Gretzky.
0: He did. He did. And that's uh, certainly prominent in the book. Uh, and there's some, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, a, a chapter, uh, two chapters actually, on uh, uh, his time in uh, San Jose. Real good story about uh, uh, about um, Patrick Marleau and he and uh, uh, how he, uh, uh, you know, probably d- – um, sent uh Marlowe astray, um, uh, got him in trouble a little bit when he was he, he was a young player. Yeah, that was the
2: only time that Patrick Marlowe ever got in trouble.
0: So. Well, I that that may <laughs> be the case, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, he t- tells it very fondly. Apparently, a, a lot of people in San Jose know it because he uh he t- talked about it too when uh Marlowe was honored there for his longevity. That's great to
1: hear. So, yeah, Sharks fans definitely want to look forward to uh, when those books get released. Um, basically we wanted to bring both of you two in here to kind of get your input on the current situation. The sharks have kind of found themselves in, I guess that's the nicest way to put it, you know, Evander kane has been the, you know, the talk of the day or the talk of the last couple of weeks. Now, essentially he's been the, the biggest, I guess, sort of limelight on the sharks and not necessarily in a good way. You know, there's been multiple reports of teammates, not wanting him back. There's uh, issues going on with his uh, wife, you know, off the ice. And there's also been reports of him not being disciplined by coaches. So this has kind of left a bad taste in the mouth of, you know, most Sharks fans that are currently out there, including myself.
2: Yeah, so we thought, you know, with your guys' vast uh, hockey experience that, you know, you would be the guys to talk to if you want to kind of dig into, well, past examples of teams winning despite (laughs) having a very unpopular teammate. (laughs) And so, I guess, you know, what comes to mind for you guys with that?
0: Well, uh, I guess I'll start it out. I I went through all the Stanley Cup champions, and uh, at least in the time that I've covered the National Hockey League, and I I couldn't come up with anything that people won when they had an unpopular player. But, you know, we've seen unpopular players and the impact that they've had on teams. Um, You know, you can start with Sean Avery, um, who was certainly a – uh, Pariah, even in the Rangers dressing room, the, a lot of his teammates didn't like his actions. Um, it hadn't gotten to the point that we see in San Jose um, when they had publicly, uh, or, or at least off the record to reporters, uh, suggested that they didn't uh, you know, want him around the dressing room again. But I, it was pretty close to that, uh, to, to be sure. And, uh, you know, I think in hockey, most of the tension, I, and I'm sure Bob can address this too, has been in um, player-coach confrontations. Uh, You know, the the one thing that I do remember is when, uh, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning uh, won in, um, what was it, 2004, my memory. uh, I think that's.
2: Yeah, yeah, the the year before the lockout. Yeah,
0: 2004. um, Vinny LeCavier and John Tortorella um, had some really, really difficult – uh, times They eventually at some point had to be called in to um, uh, Jay Feaster, the general manager's office, where he basically said, you know, neither one of you are going anywhere, so you're going to have to figure this out. But it was beyond just the normal, um, uh, you know, coach-player uh, issues. I mean, these guys were all at each other's throats, and uh, John Tortorella also had issues with a couple of other players as well, and those also – had turned kind of ugly. So there was a lot of tension in that room um, that was kind of created by that because Cavier was a popular player with teammates. And I'm sure John Tortorella, if he was here, would say, look, I'm just trying to get him to be a better player. And I think he did, actually. Um, But um, I, I think what we're talking about is the tension that's created within the dressing room because, you know, our sport is a little bit different. Like Bob and I were talking about it earlier. And, you know, we've seen all sorts of examples of this in other sports of right. team winning you know the new york yankees uh, you know i'm older so i remember the the charlie finley a's that you know didn't get along at all um and you know they were able to win and uh we've seen uh, uh in other sports as well but i you know it doesn't happen very often where a team rises up the, but also we haven't had that many examples like vander <laughs> kane is so unique um, I, I mean, not only is he a guy who has uh, um, lost uh, the respect of his, his teammates, but he, he's a, a, an excellent player. Um, you know, Avery was a decent player, but he wasn't a Vander Kane,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, and I think that's what makes this situation so difficult um, is, is because he's a really good player. So if you're asking to remove this guy, that sends a signal that uh, this guy really uh, must be a guy that uh, is causing a a lot of problems.
3: I think to me, the most famous episode did involve a Stanley Cup champion, and it was not players. It was a player and a coach, and it was 1971. Montreal Mm -hmm. was playing Chicago in the finals, and I believe it was game five. Montreal was losing in Chicago and Al McNeil, who'd come in in mid season from Montreal's farm club to take over as the coach had had benched Aubrey Richard, who was, you know, after John Bellable, the most revered player on that team. And Richard went, you know, the media, obviously there's always that English French undertone in Montreal and the French media immediately made it a French English issue. And Richard willingly joined into the, the festivities and it created quite a controversy in Montreal, and uh, yet they were able to still win the Cup, and not only did they win the Cup in Game 7, the, they were down 2 nothing to uh, Chicago in Game 7. Jacques Lemaire scored a fluky goal from outside the blue line to get them on the board. Henry Richard tied it and then scored the Cup winner. And when the next season came around, McNeil was gone and Henry Richard was still there, and Scotty Bowman was their new coach. So that was certainly an incident where... The players took the teammate side against the coach and the coach got pushed out but yet even though there was that friction in the room richard still swallowed his pride and went out and helped them win the stanley cup and so you know that to me is the most famous example of where there was unrest in the room and yet the team still overcame it to win it all
2: right and yeah in terms of just uh coach uh, being unpopular or the coach and the player not getting along. You know, we also have the, you know, Mike Keenan, right, was famous for not getting along with, with his guys too in a lot of uh, different cities, but still uh, winning. Um, but as, as you mentioned, though, there's not so many examples then of, a player versus player kind of uh, sort of uh, uh, issue and te- the team still overcoming it. You did mention one, though, Kevin, in terms of uh, Sean Avery, right? And the Rangers were still a winning team with, with Sean Avery.
0: Yeah, they, they, they were for sure. And, um, you know, he hadn't um, um alienated everybody in the dressing room. For example, he was friends with uh, King Henrik um and uh i think they actually had a business in fact i'm pretty positive that they actually had a business deal together as well i you know they did get along and they didn't like his annex I, I i got another and and the comparison is not very good um but it it, it could have gone bad and i would suggest brad marshann um now the difference is he was very well liked even in the middle of their um their problems with him, but teammates didn't like his antics. Um, and you know, like it, it could have gone bad. Um, I, you know, there's really no comparison though, between Marshand and Evander Kane, just in terms of their personalities because he is pretty popular within the room. But when you have a player and, um, you know, with the licking and the, uh, you know, the issues that he has and the way he, he tries to distract opponents. It, it had reached the point where there were several teammates on the Bruins, including a lot of respected guys who, mm-hmm. um, had to talk to him. And it did create a little bit of tension, um, as they, you know, had to sort that out. Um, but you know, it didn't, uh, first of all, it didn't last very long um, because he, you know, he seems to be a little bit of a different guy now. Um, And he's, uh, but you know, the the one similarity is, you know, he's a very good player. So Mm -hmm. they had to be careful with how that, um, you know, you handle that and all that, but in San Jose, I don't think they care what, how good a player he is. I I think they just find uh, it all distasteful. Right. So, sorry, go ahead, Shane.
2: Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say that. So, you know, we're talking about a situation then in your guys' view where uh, you know, Kane doesn't get along with the coach. So, that's that or at least there's problems. I won't, I won't go that far to say he doesn't get along, but there are problems there. Um, but also too there are problems with other players too. And so this is just the scenario that is not very common in hockey and so the Sharks are kind of in some trouble here maybe. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I would say they are, but, you know, I think the the, the difficult they have goes beyond, uh, you know, Evander Kane. You know, I, if you start to weigh their problems, is it sure. you know their <laughs> long-term contracts or is it Evander Kane, which is the bigger problem? Um, I think they're both problematic um, for this team in trying to be, you know, successful. Um, you know, they're paying a lot of money to other guys uh, who, you know, aren't performing – up to their uh you know contracts so um that's that's an issue but I, I i do think they have to deal with this evander kane thing before they even you know move forward you, you know you can't have a, a guy like that that everyone um you know just doesn't want to have around anymore doesn't want him bringing his issues into the dressing room you got to deal with that before you deal with anything
3: else mm-hmm. yeah Look,
1: and kind of going
3: go way sorry, going, if we go way way back in nhl history there's a a great example that is kind of similar to this back when the Ottawa Senators were the best team in the NHL at pretty much the start of the league in the early right. 20s. They're... We're not talking about Alexander Day here, right? No, we're not yeah. going. <laughs> Their defense, top defense pairing. And back in those days, you basically stayed on the ice till you retired and came yeah. off. So Sprague, Clegghorn and Eddie Gerrard were the defensive pairing for Ottawa. And they were, far and away the best defense pairing in the NHL. And they couldn't have been more different as people. Eddie Girard was probably, if not the most respected player in the NHL in the top two or three. He was a gentleman. He was just, he went on to a long coaching career. He was the opposing coach. The famous Lester Patrick came in to play goal game in the Stanley Cup final. Eddie Girard was the coach of the Montreal Maroons in that game. But he despised... (laughs) Sprague Clegghorn was a drinker. He was a womanizer. I'll tell you this story. This will sum up what kind of character Sprague Clegghorn was. His first year in Ottawa, he showed up with a woman who he introduced to everyone as Mrs. Clegghorn. They were living together, and uh, as far as everybody knew on the team, that was his wife. Well, mid-season. The real Mrs. Clegghorn showed up from the, um, surprise her husband. And why was she surprised to find out there was another woman claiming to Mrs. Clegghorn, who, as it turned out, was not Mrs. Clegghorn. So that was kind of gives you a window into what Sprague Clegghorn was like. He actually coached in the NHL and they had to fire him because he was sneaking women into the hotel and onto the train and that of. So, The coach is doing it. How do you tell the players not to do it? But anyway, they despised each other so much that they didn't even speak. Other than on the ice when they had to for the game, they never spoke to each other. They never spent any time. Famously, and they met at an event. I believe it might have been the Hockey Hall of Fame in the 50s because they were both enshrined in the Hall of Fame and... Cleghorn finally came over to Eddie Gerrard and said, you know, this is silly, Eddie. We should put a stop to this. And they actually talked to each other. It was the first time in almost 50 years that they just spoke <laughs> to each other. And yet they, on the ice, they were the, absolutely the best defensive pair in the NHL. They were both, you know, if there would have been all-star teams in those days, they, they would have been all-star and Norris Trophy contenders had there been a Norris Trophy. But yet couldn't stand each other, wouldn't even be seen in the same room off the ice.
0: Sounds like spread Cleghorn uh, had both a home and an away wife.
3: Yeah. Uh, you
2: know,
1: just... <laughs> so, so, kind of circling back to the uh, the situation the Sharks are having, it, it seems to be based on what we've discussed so far, a, a very unique situation. It's yeah. not very replicated. We we haven't been able to see it uh, or, or any examples of it in the past. You know, you've mentioned it's mainly coach versus player. Yeah, And, yeah, there were some issues with Evander Kane and Rocky Thompson allegedly almost getting into a fistfight. If you two could think, you know, if there was some sort of key element, and, you know, I'm a Sacramento boy up in here in California, so the first person that I thought of was, like, Chris Webber in the early 2000s and kind of how the locker room for the Kings was a little bit dysfunctional, you know, surrounding Chris Webber in that sense. Um, but they were so good that they kind of just put their differences aside and just tried to win. Is that something that you see as possible for the sharks, given the significant amount of locker room discord that's been kind of put
0: forth? Well, I, I would think not. Um, and also, um, you know, Evander Kane to me is a repeat offender in this regard. Like he alienated himself in Buffalo as well, not as, uh, Uh, as severely as he's done. So in San Jose, but there was tension there as well. Um, And there were were incidents and um, you know, the, the, the the kind of stuff that's kind of going on now with him is is stuff that, you know, the hockey world just doesn't accept very easily. Um, And uh, uh, I, so I, I think it's going to be difficult. I, it's hard for me to believe that they can continue on. Although I don't know, I don't see any remedy. I, I think he's untradeable. Um, so, you know, I don't know what their option is, and I'm sure they're going to try to salvage it. Um, I guarantee you, that if he comes back, there'll be a team meeting, uh, uh, and it'll be, you know, it'll be players only, and there'll be discussions. And I'm sure Evander Kane will try to be contrite and, uh, you know, try to make it work. But boy if if it does, he's really going to be, um, uh, you know, he'll be on double secret probation for sure. Uh, you know, uh, because uh, I just don't see players kind of accepting this. It, you know, and then when this kind of stuff goes on, they, you know, players have to answer questions at home. Like what's going on with this team? What's happening? Is anybody friends with Kane? Is anybody going out with him? Like, you know, especially with the, uh, you know, the gambling uh, issues and so forth. And, you know, it's a, those are questions that players don't like to deal with. Um, so um, I, I'm sure he's caused uh, a significant number of issues for players, uh, um, you know, throughout his stay in San Jose.
2: And yeah, like, you know, based on everything you guys are saying, like the two elements that I'm hearing are necessary for teams to win, uh, even with discord. Uh, number one, uh, and I'm going to bring up my own uh, basketball example since Nick did, you know, I'm a big Lakers <laughs> fan, you know, Shaq and Kobe, right. They definitely uh, did not get along uh, when they played together, but the number one element though, for any of these teams, and even the Claycorn example that you brought up, uh, Bob is talent, you know, overwhelming talent. You know, that's one thing that's important or a lot of it. Right. And number two, maybe to a respect for each other's abilities and in, both cases, unfortunately, you know, with the San Jose Sharks team that um, has been disappointing on the ice for the last couple of years. So there's a question about how much talent they have, if they have the talent to overcome you know, these kind of uh, issues. And also, too, I think there's a question of how much respect they have for a guy like Kane. You know, I, I think that in a lot of these examples, these coach-player issues, Tortorella, Lecavier, there's still a respect for each other, which I'm not so sure is
3: here. Yeah, yeah I mean, if you take a a Detroit example back in the, the late '80s, early '90s, when Bob Probert was having all his issues with drugs and uh, alcohol. The Wings players pretty much stood by him mm. because they knew they were a better team with Bob Probert in the lineup. Now that's, as you say, talent is the the ultimate decider. It, can he help us win? Scotty Bowman's the ideal example of that, and I'll bring up another guy who played in San Jose, Bob Aries scotty loved bob airy the hockey player he brought him to detroit to try to help them win a cup there he won a cup with him in pittsburgh bob airy and scotty bowman couldn't stand each other they didn't speak at all they despised each other but scotty never cared about that kind of stuff if you could help him win you were in his lineup he didn't you know he never was one that worried about what he thought of you as a person or what as long as you could help him win you were going to play for.
0: Him. Yeah. But with, with Bob pro the difference is he's a very likable, he was a very likable guy. Right. Um, you know, it, it, you know, he did help Detroit win and that was important to the players and, you know, he made them tougher and he, he could actually play in addition to being able to fight. But the, the number one thing with him is player, players just liked him. You know, he was just a nice guy. You know, he really was. He was a, You know, kind of a big uh, teddy bear. And, uh, you know, guys uh, didn't want to see him fail. Um, Where I'm not sure they feel uh, that way with the Vander Kane.
3: I heard some stories, too, about Joe Murphy when he was with the Sharks, about Mm. getting into fights with teammates in the dressing room and uh, heard them from pretty reliable sources. So I believe they were true. But knowing what we know now about Joe Murphy and his problems with mental illness, that, you know, that might have been an element in the whole situation back then that no one really either understood or really, you know, it wasn't really acceptable to talk about him in that era as it is today. And yet, you know, I did hear stories about him, not just in San Jose either. I heard some stories about him in Boston too, where he just rubbed the players the wrong way and just kind of, you know, did his own thing and did some strange stuff. And that, you know, that's the thing about hockey. I think more so than any other sport, because you really need everybody kind of on board, pulling the rope in the same direction. You know, there's the famous Boston Red Sox story you know, in the days of Yostremsky when it was they said 25 players, 25 cabs, nobody got along. <laughs> but I think you can get away with that in baseball. I mean, baseball is a team sport, but it's so much of it isn't. An element of individuality. I mean, sure. Really, yeah.
2: Pitcher, you know, batter. Yeah. yeah
3: can't, you know, everybody's got their own assignment. Really, other than maybe the middle infield where they got to turn double plays and that, there's not really a lot of teamwork that goes on on the field. It's all kind of individual efforts. But in the hockey, when I mean, you got five guys on the ice, those five guys have all got to work together to make it happen. And I think that that goes right through the whole lineup. And I think that's why it's vital that you know they don't have to get along as be pals and be friends, but on the ice, they've all got to be, you know, doing what's necessary to win. And I think as long as a player's doing that, teammates will look, overlook other stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, what's interesting about what Bob just said is we, you know, you guys have provided two examples. And I'm sure we could come up with uh, a lot more that in basketball, you need each other too, in order to be successful. And in basketball, you know, they overcome those things to right. to make it work. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, Maybe Kobe and Shaq don't get along, but, you know, when you're trying to win a championship, you know, you do get along when you're, you know, on the hardwood. So, uh, I, I, yeah, it, it's interesting that we feel in in hockey that you, you can't do that without harmony because we do see it in other sports where team play is a requirement as well.
1: So we, uh, we've we kind of been in a bit of an, I don't want to say, a, a complete echo chamber between Shang and I. We we also want your guys's perspective because we've talked about what Doug Wilson has done with the Sharks the last couple of years and kind of how we feel. He's a little on the middle of the fence with free agent acquisitions with trades. It seems like he's selling at this point, but he's also saying one thing and doing another. So from your guys's perspective, as outsiders of the organization, what's your take on what Doug Wilson has done with the Sharks team over the last two
0: years? Well, I mean, what I would say is, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, he's just reshuffling his deck every year without addressing, you know, the main problem that they've had for a couple of years, which is, you know, what I mentioned is, you know, they have a lot of money tied up in guys who, um, you know, really aren't earning their contracts. And, uh, even more importantly than that, um, you know, they don't have as much maneuverability uh, because of those, uh, you know, contracts uh, as well. And, uh, you know, I, I I don't see that they have any uh, real element of strength uh, uh, when I compare them to other teams. That, you know, one of the exercises that I've done for many years is I always, when I, the GMs that I know, I always ask them, you know, where, you know, name three teams which you would love to take over and three that you would eight to have. And I guarantee you, if I did that today, the sharks would be, you know, in the three that, uh, you know, they wouldn't want to have uh, just because yeah. they have so many issues and, um, you know, they're, they're in a bad position. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to be difficult to dig out, uh, you know, they, they can't even rebuild properly, um, uh, because of those contracts where, you know, if you wanted to rebuild, you know, you have to sort of strip it down to the chassis. So, um, You know, I I, like I didn't you know, there were no moves that Doug Wilson could have made this summer that was going to magically transform them, you know, into a contending uh, team. You know, I think the departure of Martin Jones, though, you know, was significant. It's been three. It was three consecutive years where he had a save percentage under 900. Uh, He seemed to have lost his mojo. It was time to move him out. I thought, you know, he should have been moved out before Um, it was time just to say goodbye to him in one way, shape, or form. i actually shocked that Philadelphia, with a pretty good team, uh, um, was willing to uh, give him another chance. I think he's deserving another chance, but I thought it would be with Arizona or Buffalo or, you know, a team that really wasn't a contender. But, you know, the Flyers uh, expect to try to compete for the uh, division uh, title. So, you know, he's going to have to play a big role.
3: To me, the Sharks, they've always kind of reminded me of the – the early 1970s to mid-1970s New York Rangers, a team that had a great nucleus, but really by the time they got their shot to win the Cup, they were probably at the end of their cycle with that group and should have broken the team up. I think the same thing happened to San Jose when they played Pittsburgh in the final. Mm-hmm. You know they, When you play in the final, you think you're close to winning it all, and most times you are but generally those teams are like when Pittsburgh lost the first time to Detroit, you know, their nucleus was young. It was their first shot. But when you think back to that San Jose team, it, you know, it was still Marlowe. It was still Thornton, you know, you, then you bring in uh, Carlson, you know, to try to it like, like they, they seemed to think they were a piece or two away from winning the cup. And I think the reality was that was their one shot with that group. Wow. And when they didn't get it done, they should have uh, broken up the band and started over. But that's hard to do when you come that close to winning the cup. So you can understand they're thinking, oh, if we go out and get Carlson. And you know, and if you look at it historically, teams that have had two Norris Trophy winners on the blue line usually win. And the Sharks have, have broken that mold by having two Norris Trophy winners and they can't even get in the playoffs. <laughs> well, they did, though, make off. it to
2: the conference final that year uh, with uh, after they acquired Carlson. But they're definitely paying the piper. For that for 20, for that one appearance and also for 2016.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, the, the, them getting in the finals it, 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 although it was a lot of fun and they could have uh, you know won the cup, uh, you know, I, I think it, it, it probably hurt them more than helped them because I think it did give, as Bob said, a false sense of where they really were um
3: and like the 67 Leafs you know they should have just blown that team up after they won the cup they had the oldest team in the league uh-huh. and it was expansion draft year they should have let all those old guys go in the expansion draft and kept their young guys and uh-huh. they did the opposite they kept the guys who just won uh-huh. in the cup let all these young guys leave and go become stars with other teams and ended up you know they've been trying to get back there ever since but you know <laughs> and, uh, but you know you, you could. I'm, and it's hard not to fall in love with a team that either win you the cup or almost wins you the cup because, you know, it's so rare to get there. And especially now with over 30 teams, you know, right. when you get there, everybody thinks when they get there, Nashville's another good example. Right? They came the year after the Sharks, it looked like they were ready to win and they're going in the opposite direction now, too.
1: Yeah, it didn't help that that was the first time in franchise history that they had made it that far as well. So, you know, a little bit of a too much to drink, I guess, for the Sharks to believe that they could continue to hold on to that nucleus of players and uh, make another stab at it or a meaningful stab at it, per se. Um, let's uh, let's shift a little bit away from, you know, specifically Sharks and, and, you know, specifically Vander Kane. I have to ask because when I grew up, I, I don't want to say it like that. but when I got into hockey, uh it was not even 10, 15 years ago. Like I, my dad had introduced me to the sport, and I fell in love with it instantly. And he would always tell me these stories about the Russian five and just how amazing they were on the ice and like you have to see it to believe it. And I just became, you know, I would look up YouTube videos, you know, because you know more modern day stuff came along. I would Google search them and I was wondering just a question for myself to both of you, what was it like covering the Russian five? Like how dominant do you think, let's say that Laryanov or, or Fetsov would, would have been if they had played in the NHL in their prime, like in the eighties?
0: Well, um Fetisov and Laryanov would have been incredibly uh uh, dominant, uh, you know, in their prime, um, you know that uh, Soviet uh, group that came up together—they were pretty incredible. Um, and uh, you know, I remember when I was younger, and uh, uh, when Russian teams started to come over, and you know, it wasn't just their you know top team that was really good. Like um, they would bring over some team with guys that all had Russian-sounding names, but you had never heard of them, and you know, they would play the same way. You know, the thing about Laryanov that it was always fun. Um, and uh i you know i've never seen anyone really be as good at it as he was some uh nhlers have kind of tried it but if he didn't like how it looked when he was coming over the blue line he'd turn back and 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 redo it you know he would just start over again and uh that you know and that's what, the way they worked. they saw it as a real uh five man unit um you know they kind of worked all together and uh um, they understood they all sort of played the Russian style, which was more defensively. I mean, the the one thing, and, and Bob can speak to this as well, um, uh, maybe better than I can, you know, Russians are taught um, to, you know, kind of shut it down and play defensive uh, once they get a lead. And I always thought that, um, you know, Larry Onof and Fedorov in particular, even though he did have some great point seasons, like even though he came in uh, on the tail end of that, um, he still sort of had that in him. Like, they they don't think, you know, when Gretzky had five points, he wanted six, and when he had six, he wanted seven. And, uh, you know, I know Bernie Nichols uh, talked to to me about how Gretzky sort of instilled that in him as well. You know, you got to keep going, you keep wanting. Well, that's not how Russians think at all. If they have a two-to-one lead, they think, okay, let's everyone play defense and we'll just win two-to-one. And um, so they could have actually been – more dynamic had they sort of played the way that North Americans play, but you know they were really uh, incredibly fun to uh, to watch. And um, you know I give a lot of credit to Scotty Bowman for um, for doing that because uh, you know I think most NHL general managers. Interesting to see what Bob says about this. They would have split, made sure they split that up so that there's a big balance up and down the lines. I mean, how often we've heard that. But Scotty he said, eh, let's put it all together because we'll have one kind of group like that.
3: Yeah, actually, I had a conversation one time with Igor Larionov about that exact topic, Kevin. That He said no Russian player will ever lead the league in scoring.
0: Yeah.
3: We're taught to think about the defensive zone first. Fedorov, I don't know how many times people would be raving about a goal he scored or that and he would always just kind of shake his head and talk about you know we have to take care of our own end that's what matters if you take care of your own end it generates offense it creates the offense because you're taking the puck away from the other team and that's like kevin says that's the way they were trained now I, it's kind of interesting now when you see guys like ovechkin and that are they are they still being trained that way i I think when Ovechkin has three goals, he wants four.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I think he's, he's far more uh, North American. The other thing I, I also would point out, too, and, and I say this because I think a lot of people uh, really didn't sort of catch on to him. Um, Sergei Fedorov was actually a big guy. Like, you know, he, he skated sort of bent over, so he didn't think like that. But he was. He was, he's a, he was a really big guy, and he was powerful. Um, and he, he had such acceleration um, that, you know, you'd forget that, you know, you'd be standing next to him and, uh, you know, he, he would be so tall and strong looking. Um, and uh, you just would forget when you watch him on the ice because, you know, he played smaller, you know, I mean he would played, you know, like a 5'10", 170 pounder just in terms of his creativity and everything else. But he was really, a, 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 you know, a pretty big guy. Like, you know, he wasn't 6'3". 215 but you know he was a solid 200 pounds and what was he one, maybe six one and a half something like that but he you know when you stood next to him he was a very big a big player uh mm. and i think he you know he had that one great great season when he put up a lot of points i think he could have done uh a lot of that um it just wasn't in him uh and i i like the story that bob just told because um uh, by the way igor larianov also I had a conversation with him too. I, Igor liked the media, and you know, he—I think he was—he uh, 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 inter- had relationships with everybody in the, in the in the media. Once he told me that he thought that the this is the one that was shocking to me—that uh, uh, we should go to a shootout for the playoffs. And his contention is is that most of the goals that are scored in overtime in the playoffs are just bad fatigue goals. And he said, it's not good hockey. It's not skilled hockey. Mm -hmm. You know, players are tired. You know, somebody falls down. You know, they miss coverage because they're mentally fatigued and that we'd be better if we went to the shootout. And, you know, I said, yeah, but that's just a skills competition. He goes, do you love soccer? And I said, yeah, I watch it. I'm, I'm a real fan. And he goes, well, nobody complains when we decide the World Cup. With the shootout if it's good enough for the world cup it's good enough for us so he didn't see it and the other story i have about about lariana uh which was a good one he when he scored that triple overtime goal in the stanley cup final that really was an important uh goal because that that carolina detroit series was actually tight um at the time was it was a 1-1 bob i think so one one.
3: yeah that made it
0: 2-1 2-1 it gave it gave detroit a 2-1 lead because he scored that overtime goal. Well, Thomas Holmstrom just talked about how hungry everyone was after that three-overtime game. And he said, we couldn't get back. He roomed ruined Llarionov. And, and Holmstrom goes in, picks up the phone, starts ordering room service, steak, fries, a uh, piece of apple pie. And Igor walks over, takes the phone from him, and says, we'll have a fruit basket. Send it up as quick as you can. And Thomas Holmstrom <laughs> said, after one of the biggest wins we ever had, I couldn't eat steak. You know, Igor Larionov was made to seed fruit. We had pears (laughs) and oranges, he said. So. And uh, speaking (laughs) of
2: of Larionov, actually, I had one one question myself, uh, my last one. And looking at. at, the similar thing to the Russian Five, but from the Sharks' perspective. You know, they had a pretty a special five sum of their own in the mid 90s, not of the same notoriety as the Russian Five, but Larryonov, Makarov, uh, Garpenlov, Ozolynch, and Norton. And you know, Kevin Constantine did something kind of different uh, with them uh, in terms of letting them play the way that they wanted while making the rest of the team play a more defensive-oriented style. And, of course, that helped the Sharks upset the Red Wings in '94, uh, I believe it was. But uh, my my question to you guys about this is, you know how come there haven't been more five sums like this, like the Russian five in league history? You know there seems to be some untapped untapped value here. You know you talked about how teams always focus on, you know, uh, creating great duels or creating a great three forward line. But how about try more five man units out there and kind of see what happens?
0: Well, I think you see them with three minutes to go in tight games. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You 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 do see that. But you know, as I said earlier. Uh, you know, almost every NHL coach is looking for balance, uh, and a lot of quality coaches. You know, if you look at Joel Quenbull, for example, and on his Blackhawks teams, those lines all looked alike one speed guy, one defensive guy. You know, it was kind of right out of the Roger Nielsen, um, uh, you know, book. He, you know, he wanted balance. Like he, you know, he didn't want three offensive guys together. He wanted, uh, you know, lines that looked like, uh, uh you know lines that we saw um in the 1980s or 1990s and I think that's what we have too often you know you talk all the time uh although you know we do see some movement towards superlines now where you just take your three best players and throw them out there mm-hmm. um and uh you know uh you know the the Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid uh, situation where um you know they're better as a team if we can move them apart but if if you boy if you need a goal it's nice to have both those guys out there so uh you know it it, it it's just i don't know it, 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 it i just don't think they think like that um you know but they think like that when the game's on the line you know let's get our two best guys and uh, uh on defense and our three best forwards and and we're starting to see that on the power play i mean it, it's interesting. Without fanfare, we've gone from um, two defensemen on the on points at okay. all times to now very few teams use two defensemen. Right. We we have four forwards, uh, and uh, you know, and the game evolves sometimes when you're not paying any attention to it. One one fact I always tell people that usually stuns them about the difference between when I started and when I ended. You know, when I covered the National Hockey League in the 1980s. I would say only one in six players could effectively one time the puck. Think about that. Wow! Now, now everybody in the NHL could. Like Yari Curry right. was was so different than everyone else is because you know he never missed on a one timer. Well, no one misses on a one timer, not very often. You know, um, you know, the, everybody the puck comes across to him, and boom, it's you know toward the net, if not on the net. Um, but back then, that was a, a skill that not everyone had.
1: What about you, Bob? You think there's a you think there's anything that the Sharks can do with their lovely five some, especially on the the power play? You know, they they're kind of forced. Their hands are kind of forced when they go on the power play because of contractual obligations. It feels like with uh, <laughs> Eric Carlson's money and Brent Burns' money on the blue line. You think they should run those two together more often or would that just be uh, the anti-Russian approach of, uh, we're going to think of the offensive zone first and leave the goaltending out to dry?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to play two offensive guys together on defense. I mean, you think of Bobby Orr always had Dallas Smith with him in Boston because Bobby Orr said he knew he could go on his forays because he knew Dallas Smith had his back. And you got to know, I remember watching a a Red Wings preseason game and they had... uh, two uh, prospects that were both kind of offensive-minded on defense, Villy Sari, Harvey, and Joe Hicketts. And the next thing you know, they're both pinching. They're both down and below the, the <laughs> face-off We've bottom. seen that with Burns uh, oh, and Carlson, whatever they play together. Nobody cover it, and all of a sudden there's a 3-0 going the other way. So you, you've got to have one guy in the pairing, I think, who's thinking defense first. You, know, you can't have uh, both guys going all the time because that's what you end up having is – all of a sudden there's a 2 on or a three-on-oh going the other way especially with yeah just like play that today
1: <laughs> just like shank said we saw that a little bit too much last season with the sharks so sharks uh, were down a lot so <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh honestly thank you guys so much uh you know for taking time to jump on the pod with us today to kind of give your insight on the the murky waters that are surrounding the sharks right now or the chummy waters I guess if we want to play you know a little play on words there um well, summary,
2: guys, we guys were in big trouble. So yeah, Sharks fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kevin, that's though, what we've learned today.
3: <laughs> we were talking about this the other day though. There's nothing. The only thing worse than being a bad team is being a bad team. That's boring. Well, the Sharks aren't going to be boring. That's, no, true. No, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they still have, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, their, their Q rating is still you know pretty good. Like they're, they're an interesting team. Uh, you know, they just, uh, you know, they don't have all the elements, is all. But, you know, they, you know, they got big names. that's uh, – you know, you tune in because you're thinking, well, maybe I will see the Eric Carlson of seven years ago or six years ago or five years ago. But, you know, you don't see it very often, unfortunately. And, you know, Burns is still an interesting player. And, uh, you know, I'm curious to see how their goaltending is going to be. Uh, I'm sure you are too. Oh, yeah. Because it's one, you know, it's, you know, the, there's nothing that, uh, it creates interest in a team uh, more than mystery. And there's certainly a mystery in San Jose of uh, how good their world will be.
1: Yeah. It's come to a bit of a joke here. Our, uh, our, this next season is going to just be called living on a prayer because we're we're hoping (laughs) for a, a San Francisco giants type of rebound where, you know, they have Brandon Crawford and all these other guys just resurrecting their careers out of nowhere. We're hoping, well, me, at least I'm hoping to see that happen for the sharks. So, uh, Again, wanted to thank you guys for, for joining us to talk about the team, uh, go ahead and tell the folks, all the listeners where to find you guys uh, on Twitter and make sure you give a sneak peek as to what might be coming down the pipeline over at, uh, Detroit hockey now. And, uh, make sure you let us know when that book comes out there,
0: Kev. Okay. I'll, I'll do that. I'm at, uh, by Kevin Allen on, uh, Twitter. Um, and, uh, and then just Kevin Allen on, uh, Facebook, uh. Uh, for my account there, and uh, of course you can uh, read us at detroithockeynow.com. And um, I do have a book on Bernie Nichols, uh, um, you know, coming out. And uh, I've got, I actually got a baseball book, and uh, the Detroit Tigers uh, player uh, Willie Horton played uh, on that '68 uh, team, talking about the the racism of the of the 1960s. And at Detroit Hockey now, uh, we're looking forward, we're going to Traverse City for the prospects uh, uh, tournament and get a good look at Lucas Raymond, who I think has, uh, I don't know, maybe a 30% chance, Bob, what do you think 30% chance of making the Red Wings a very skilled player, but probably not quite ready. Um, And so, uh, you know, there's a good chance he may start in Grand Rapids.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the Wings, they're starting to get more interesting now. I I was kind of throwing line combinations together now, and they've actually got options, which, you know, (laughs) two years ago, I don't know that they had 12 NHL forwards. And now they've got, you know, they've got more bodies than they have spots. And then you've got these three kids with Raymond and Jonathan Berggren and Joe Valeno who are going to push the Wings, hope, push for a job this fall. And all of a sudden, you've got, Potentially 15, 16 forwards that could be in the mix to play for this team. So yeah, that's that's a positive sign. Like, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year, but I don't think they're going to be a doormat either. I think they're going to be, you know, they're, they're moving in the right direction. It's not going quickly, but it rarely does unless you get, you know, a Sidney Crosby in, falls in your lap. But even you look at Edmonton, they got Connor McDavid, and they're not really, you know, they're still on the treadmill. They're not really going anywhere. So you know it's it's a process, but I like what they're doing, and I think they're getting closer.
1: And Bob, you have one of the more entertaining Twitter handles. Go ahead and tell everyone where to uh, find you on Twitter.
3: It's at, at AskTheDuffer. the Duffer. It goes way back to <laughs> when I started out in the '80s. I used to have a thing I did in the Hockey News where they would people could send me questions, and I would answer them, and they called it Ask the Duffer. And it's just kind of followed me forever, and I've kind of stuck with it, and actually name my own company asked the Duffer so, there you go. name
1: So <laughs> honestly, thank you guys again for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Uh, make sure you guys both stay safe out there and uh, have a great rest of your night. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah,
0: thank you guys. Good, Good night. night.
1: Big thank you to Kevin and Bob for taking time to sit down with us and you know, talk about the sharks and specifically about the Evander Kane situation and you know, after talking with them, I think it really shows just how unique of a situation the Sharks have kind of found themselves in. And, you know, there, there may not be a clear-cut answer or solution out there right now, uh, especially for Doug Wilson, you know, and the Sharks in general. Well, I think that's going to do it for us here today. Just a friendly reminder that, you know, Sharks fans, preseason is inching closer and closer by the day. So fear not, Sharks fans, because hockey is returning to us soon. And like Kevin said in the interview, we may not be all that great this year, but at least we won't be boring. So really quickly before we close things out, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at sjhockeynowpod, and you can follow the network at hockeypodnet, and you can follow myself on Twitter at nickfloor underscore. Shane, where can the folks find you?
2: shang underscore peng and thank you again guys for listening
1: until next time this is nick floor signing off asking you all to take care of yourselves stay safe and stay hydrated